In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. So who's been dreaming of a white Christmas? It's, it's night, not quite coming down like uh, Bing Crosby brings it, but... Uh... So you're having the Christmases you, you enjoy, wrap, unwrap some presents. I'm sure some of you have, some of you are waiting too. Uh, have you seen your favorite Christmas show this year? Uh, Rudolph or Frosty, maybe Elf? It's a Wonderful Life, A Christmas Carol. And all of those stories have inspirational messages but there is nothing to match the inspirational message of that first Christmas. And perhaps from the angel's message, the words that ring most widely resonate across all cultures and across all our entire world are the words, peace on earth. Peace on earth. It's among our greatest dreams. Hundreds of thousands of people make it their ambition. Hundreds of millions pray for it, and of course billions dream of a world that is truly at peace. The angels give that message. What do they mean? And is it true? Is it a message that we can build our lives and society upon? Or is it simply wishful thinking that passes the next morning with the next morning's newscast? Let's pray. Our Lord, we are all coming with different experiences and feelings this morning. Some of us are in a wonderful rejoicing uh, mood. What a celebration. Others of us carry pain and loss and, and such an intimate holiday brings back memories that are cherished yet hard to, to live with in this time. Father, we ask that you'd meet each one of us where we are today. Bring home this truth. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. What, what do you feel when you hear the words, peace on earth. 
do you feel, wow, this is what really should be at the core of my life. It, it should drive my life, move my life. Or are you a little puzzled by it? Saying, I hear the words, but it doesn't seem to match up with, with what I see around us. Uh, with, am I misunderstanding it, or did the angels misunderstand it? Or perhaps the words raise your hopes, but as you look around, those hopes are quickly dashed. Or perhaps you go so far as to say, the angels' words are not true. This is another proof that Christianity is merely wishful thinking. It really has no substance to it. It is empty promises that, that we might hope for, but there's no reality in it. No matter where we are, there has to be some sense of letdown when we hear the angels' words, but we compare it to the world we live in. I'll go further than that and say that such dreams are shattered by the realities around us. And that's only natural because we were made to live in peace. Peace should be the home in which we all live. And th that's a truth that transcends generations. My college days, we were in the, the peace movement. And the streets and the campuses chanted with make love, not war. The songs implored us to give peace a chance or to get on board the, the peace train. And John Lennon captured all of our imaginations with his song. He said this, Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. These words have continued to remain popular because they speak of desires that are deepest in our hearts. It's a message that is still embraced and sung today. A pop icon, singer-songwriter Lady Gaga, in an interview spoke of her dreams. She said this, I dream and envision a future where we have a more peaceful religion or a more peaceful world, a more peaceful state of mind for the younger generations, that's what I dream for. He certainly isn't the only one. But as much as we long for peace, we see around us wars and, and rumors of wars. And that doesn't just touch songwriters. It's touched devoted Christians as we see the incongruency between the words of the angels and the experiences we have. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow captured this a oh, century and a half ago when he wrote the words to I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. See, he wrote that song during the Civil War. His wife had just died a couple years earlier tragically in a fire. He had received news earlier in the year that his, one of his sons was gravely wounded in that war in critical condition. And at Christmas, when he heard the bells, he penned these words, which I'm sure many of us could also feel. 
I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And then later he says, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And then a couple of verses we never sing. He said, then from each black accursed mouth the cannons thundered in the south, and with the sound of carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the heartstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now the disparity between the angel's proclamation and life's experience make us wonder, what were the angels singing about? I mean, they were singing the words of God. If these are the words of God, they are true. So our experience tells us that they could not have meant that Jesus Christ was going to bring a cessation of war during his lifetime. And Jesus said actually the opposite. This is no surprise to the angels. Certainly it was no surprise to Jesus. For he declared, when the disciples asked him, when will we know the end times? He said, when you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will come right away. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And Jesus is saying right up to the end of history itself, there will be nation fighting nation, kingdom fighting kingdom. Don't, don't be surprised by war, for it will always happen. So the angels weren't singing, uh, Jesus is going to end war right now. They weren't singing that he would end hostility between people. He would, he would clean and clear all relationships. For he also said that, no, his presence was actually going to bring turmoil. Again, he said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but division. For now on, there will be five and one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus wasn't saying a create war. He wasn't saying, a, you know, cause division within the family. He was saying, simply because I come, division will happen because I will not be fully accepted. Now, what did he speak of? He was speaking of a peace that is different than what the world speaks about. In his final evening with his disciples in the upper room, he affirmed that he came to bring peace. And he said this to them, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. If Jesus Christ came to bring us a peace. It's actually his peace. Charles Wesley captured it in his song, 
Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth, mercy mild, God in sinners reconciled. That's the peace that Jesus Christ came to bring. Paul says in the book of Colossians, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind, but now you have been reconciled. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death. In Romans 5, 1 through 10, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Do you hear the peace that Jesus Christ gives? He's saying we are offered peace with God himself because the greatest war there is is not between nations, it's between humanity and God himself. You know, it's hard for us to accept this fact that we are enemies of God. Uh, theologian Leon Morris kind of captured our contemporary thinking in, in a chapter he writes, Reconciliation. He says, man is quite content to get along amiably with his maker and does not regard his sin as a just cause for entity. He's greatly concerned about, uh, he is not greatly concerned about his trifle of wrongdoing that is in him, and he cannot see why God should be. Right? Why would God be so upset, so outraged over, you know, a little bit of sin here and there? You know, see, what's wrong with that thinking is we don't really understand what sin is. We think of sin as something like we're failing a test. God's commands are some sort of exam, and uh, you know, we get this one right and we get that one wrong, we get this one right and that one wrong, and we hope at the end we get at least a 61 so we get the passing grade. And if we don't, then you know, we fail and, and we're in trouble there. But we can't understand why if we get a 90, why God would fail us? Why we would be so upset? The reason is that that isn't what sin is all about. It is not a test to see if we can measure up to what God has made us to be. It's not an exam that says, you got this one right, you got that one wrong, when you obeyed or disobeyed a command. Sin is about a relationship with a living God. It is relational. It is more like infidelity within a marriage. And when we begin to understand sin in that way, we can understand the hurt, the harm, the heartbreak, and the reaction of God. The book of Hosea puts it that way very well. Hosea was a prophet of God. And God gave him a very strange command. He said, Hosea, I want you to find a streetwalker. A prostitute. I want you to marry her. And so he married this prostitute, and they had children together. But she quickly left him and started sleeping around, offered herself to other men, 
till they finally cast her aside and she ended up being sold into slavery. You see, God is saying, I want you to do this, Hosea, because I want you to experience, I want you to show all of Israel what sin really is. It's not failing some test. It is an infidelity that rips apart a relationship of oneness. And she was being sold on that auction block. And it was Hosea who went and bought her back to himself. Can, can you fathom that kind of love? With that betrayal, and yet the husband goes and pays the price to bring her, still in the person she is, buys her back into relationship. Well, that's what Jesus Christ did. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up. Though we had committed infidelity with him, though we had turned, and sin is really this, it is turning to other lovers than God. See, he created us for an intimate, loving relationship with him. But like Hosea's wife, Gomer, we turn aside to other lovers. Jesus, God saw that. He felt the heartbreak and still, perhaps even in his tears, he sent his son. He didn't pay dollars for us. He sent his son to bear the punishment that was due us so that we could be reconciled and brought into that union in, of, with God in intimacy and love with him. See, that's the message of the angels God and sinners reconciled. And when we get this, then we can have peace with others. There could be peace throughout the world because peace with God is the foundation of every other peace. You know, if you listen to John Lennon, he imagines, he imagines that the End of war, peace will come if we could only rid ourselves of religion, nationalism, racism, and materialism. He's almost got it. He's almost got it. But what he doesn't understand is it isn't religion, nationalism, or materialism that causes wars. It might look like that on the surface, but he doesn't go deep enough. There's a deeper cause underneath, which is why religion divides, nationalism creates war, and materialism creates hostility. James says it. The book of James gives us the source of war, the source of hostility itself. Say this in chapter 4. <clears throat> what causes fights and quarrels? In one version, what causes wars and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? <clears throat> you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. See, what James is saying in these verses is there are core needs within our battle, in, in our lives. And 
we seek to fill those through things. It might be through people, it might be through things, it might be through jobs. And in order to get these, we end up doing battle with others. We're in competition with others over these. And that's what creates the hostilities. It isn't the desire for these things. In fact, James uses the word not desires, he uses the word over-desires. They're over-desires. They become inordinate desires in our lives such that we have to have them. And we have to have them because they're actually filling a divine needs within us. Modern psychology today looks and sees that so much of our lives are run trying to fulfill core needs. Alfred Adler started and he said, we need to feel superior to others. Abraham Maslow developed a hierarchy of needs that we need to, be, to have fulfilled in our lives that we are going to pursue before we can finally reach the level of self-actualization, becoming who we really were meant to be. Current psychologists, uh, Williams James, and Eugene Mathis, and Clayton Alderer, have really, though they use different terms, they all speak of three core needs. One is love or belonging. The other is significance or value. We might use the word self-image, identity. And the third is a sense of safety and security, of preservation of our lives. And what's interesting is what they have discovered is something scripture itself points to. Because if you look at creation, begin with creation itself, scripture says we were made in God's image. When you look at God, that you see in a triune God, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in John chapter 17, in Jesus' prayer, he unveils a kind of relationship they have with one another. And it is a relationship that is steeped in love with each other and in mutual glorification. They each revolve their self, not around a self-centeredness, but they revolve themselves around each other, the Father around the Son, the Son around the Father, the Father around the Holy Spirit. And they have had an eternal love relationship where they are concerned always with each other. And they also give each other glory. Jesus prays, he says, Oh, Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. The Holy Spirit, he says, is going to come to glorify me. You see, that's the eternal relationship within God himself. Now, when we are created in God's image, isn't it natural that these would be desires in our lives? That we would have in the core of our being a need for love and a need for glory. And that's exactly what the psychiatrists are saying. We all need to love. And we don't use the word glory anymore, but glory is really value. Something worth. Think of last night's sermon. Worship is worthship. That's where the word came from. And today we would more likely use the term self-image. Do we have good self-images? Do we feel we are of value? that we matter, that our lives matter to someone. And so we, we seek these in every way possible out in our world today because we're no longer allowing God 
to fill them. And then the third need comes because when God created us, he created us as physical beings. Physical beings that need, and gives us a desire. We want to live. We want food. We want safety. We need homes. We, we need to live. And so those are the same three core values that the psychiatrists are talking about. But we know why those are the core values, because we are made in God's image. And so when God created humanity, he created us and filled us. He filled us with his love. He filled us with the fact that he valued us and cherished us. He placed humanity in a paradise where every need was met. It is we who turn against, away from God, and said, God, it's not enough. <clears throat> I need the tree in the middle of the garden. I, I want independence from you. I want to become my own center. And when we did that, we pushed aside the love and the glory that God, and the security that God gives us, and now we pursue it in every avenue possible. John Lennon, yes, we pursue it in religion. We often turn religion into a, a, a need to feel superior to others. And we become self-righteous like the Pharisees who said, Oh God, thank you that you didn't make me like them. And we use it for a sense of power of, to, to have importance. To the point where some would fight others for it. We turn nationalism into racism. Our country is better than yours. Our race is better than yours. You know what black Americans faced in the 60s? They faced degradation. They were put down. And when they rose up, you know what their cry became? Black pride. Instead of what they did with this white pride and white supremacy, they fought with black pride. See, that's our nature. White, black, it's going to be our pride, our superiority over others. That's what causes tension. Materialism, we have to get, we have to get, it's often for our own security. Sometimes because it makes me more important to have more than you. Sometimes I can buy love for others. But we pursue these things and we battle each other for them. Now, you might say, I can understand how that battle creates conflict between individuals. But wars? Come on now. Think of Nazi Germany. Why would a nation, why would a whole country of people follow Hitler? First, he played on their insecurities because their economy had been destroyed by World War I. And he played on their insecurity. He would make them whole. Two, he said, we are the superior race. He played on their need to, for, to be valued, to feel superior to others. And thirdly, he created organizations like Hitler Youth that you had to be a part of. You just had to be part. That's where you belong. And so, James is so right. We fight, we even war because of the desires within us that we try to fulfill but James also gives us the solution. He says this. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Draw near to God. God is still offering himself to fill your life. Think of it this way. And today, 
We find that ultimately at the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you need to feel loved? So often we turn to others, we give ourselves away, we trade away our, 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 our authenticity to be accepted by a particular group. We change ourselves in ways that aren't really us to win over another person. We'll cross barriers we would never cross in order to be a part of a certain clique. You need to be loved. You know what Jesus Christ says to you? He says, I love you. I want you to hear that. And hear these words. I love you more than my own life. For I am willing to give up my life for you. Even though you were an enemy, I love you that much. I have been in love with my father from eternity past. But I love you more than keeping that relationship intact. But when I go to the cross, I will carry the sins that will separate me from the Father, that will lead me to cry, God, why have you forsaken me? And I will. Do you need to feel important? You see, well, if you feel that loved, if you really grasp that love, do you need any other love to fill you? You may want other love, but will you need that love to the extent you'll cross barriers, you'll destroy relationships? How about value? Need to be important. What is your self-image? We all have to have positive self-images. Self-images are, do you feel valued? Listen to what Jesus Christ would say to you. Do I value you? If you took all the gold and silver in this world, if you took every precious gem and, and jewel and I had all these things, I would pay those as a ransom for you. No, no. I would pay more than all of the riches of the world as a ransom for you. I would give my blood for you. If you felt that valued by the God of the universe, by Jesus Christ, would you need, would you need someone else to value you? See, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And when we get that, then we will have inner peace. Well, when we get that peace with God, that kind of peace, we will have inner peace. And when we have inner peace and inner fulfillment, we don't need to fight anybody for anything to be filled because we are filled with the Lord. And if we don't need to fight other people, and other people got that. There would no be need for nation to fight nation. Peace with God is the essence of every other peace. That's what the angels were proclaiming, but unfortunately, we didn't get it as a world. It is not the Lord's fault. It's ours. You know, in the North Garden of the United Nations, there's a statue. It's entitled, Let Us Beat Our Swords into Plowshares. And that comes from Isaiah chapter 4. 
of chapter 2, verse 4. The verse says this, They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The United Nations grabbed onto that and said, we want to create a world like this. Only they didn't quite translate it right. It doesn't say we will beat our, we, uh, it doesn't say, uh, you know, I ask you to beat your swords into plowshares. It says this will happen. And it will happen when the Lord returns. And all of the nations return to the Lord. And every individual is filled with the wonders of the love of God. And then every dispute will be brought to Jesus Christ. And we will allow him to settle every dispute. And when that happens, and that will happen one day, when that happens, then we don't need to be told to beat our swords into plowshares. It says they will do it. It will naturally flow. Peace in the world is going to naturally flow from our peace with God. Today we may feel like Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. I hear these words about peace, but I look around and there is wars and rumors of war throughout the world in my own life. But the song offers an additional verse. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow says this, I heard the bells more loud and deep. You get that? He says, I kept listening to the bells, the bells that rang of a peace with God, and I let that hammer away into my life till the reality and truth of those words filled my life. I heard the bells more loud and deep, and then I hear, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong will fail. The right will prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let the bells of the gospel of the truth of Jesus Christ, I love you. You are more valuable than my life. Enter your heart and bring you peace with God. Our Father, may your spirit Bring home the words of the angels, not only to our ears or to our minds, but to our hearts, our lives, our relationships. Amen.